0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DeBias. Yesterday, September 28th, marked the 60th anniversary of one of the greatest moments in Boston Red Sox history, Ted Williams' last game as a player, where on September 28th, 1960, in a game against the Baltimore Orioles, Ted Williams hit a home run in his last at-bat. Our guest this afternoon to help us commemorate that great day is baseball historian Bill Nowlin, who is uniquely qualified to discuss Ted Williams' final home run. Bill has been a lifelong Boston Red Sox fan, as one of the first fans to mob pitcher Jim Lonborg when he pitched the final out of the game that clinched the 1967 pennant for the Red Sox. Bill was elected vice president of the Society of American Baseball Researchers in 2004, and served five terms in that capacity before becoming director in 2016. In 2013, Bill released the book 521, Ted Williams' Home Runs, which discusses the details of all 521 home runs Ted Williams hit in his Major League career and also his All-Star Game homers, Exhibition Game homers, and even some home runs he hit in high school. Bill, how old were you when Ted Williams played his last Major League game in 1960?
1: I was 15 and a half years old. And I'd like to say that I caught the ball in the bleachers and still have it here at home, but that would not be true. (laughs) The the age part is true. I was born in 1945 and I used to see him play. I I started going to games by myself when I was 11 or 12 years old. I just take the subway in from where I live in the suburbs. And uh, I saw him play often. He was my favorite player for sure. Uh, and uh, I at first thought he was going to hit a home run every time he was up. That wasn't true. Uh, I thought he was going to get on base every time he was up, and that was true 48 percent of the time, <laughs> in, between a walk or a base hit. He uh, he just uh, he was my hero growing up.
0: So were you there on that great day? Were you there?
1: I could tell you another lie, but uh, no, I was not there. Uh, there were ten thousand four hundred fifty-four people there and I was not one of them.
0: So it was not a sellout then, is that correct?
1: Far from it, uh, they just the Yankees had been in town for a Sunday game, a couple, this is a Wednesday afternoon game uh, that you mentioned on September 28th, 1960. The Yankees had had 30 some thousand people on a Sunday afternoon game, but you know, day games, afternoon day games were tough sells, uh, the park was two thirds empty.
0: Now, among Ted Williams fans, do they consider his last home run his most famous home run?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, there was one in the All-Star game back in 1946, I think it was, and, uh, you know, a couple of others. But the fact that he went into the last home game of the year, that everybody knew it was his last game of his career, and he managed to hit a home run in his final at bat, It's kind of like a a stuff that a fiction writer, you know, might put together for a movie like The Natural or something, but uh, it'd be kind of stretching credulity to believe somebody could pull it off.
0: Before he hit the home run, how close did he come to hitting it out in his previous at-bats during that specific game?
1: Apparently pretty close. I I looked up the, the first time he got up, he walked, and then he hit a fly ball to center field, I guess. I don't know how deep that one was. But there was a time he came up, uh, you know, the game was moving along, uh, and he came up, uh, I think it was maybe the sixth inning or something. Let me uh, see it kind of thing open in front of me here. There was, he was the last batter up in the fifth inning, and he hit a fly ball that went to right field and it came really close to, to the bullpen apparently. But the air was reportedly really heavy, and uh, it didn't quite make it. It's just sort of. Held up, and uh, so he came really, really close. Uh, but then he did get one more at bat. As it happens.
0: Now, who did he hit? The, who who was the pitcher on the mound when he hit that home run? Who was the Orioles pitcher?
1: Well, let me tell you one thing first. Ooh, okay. Why why I wasn't there? Oh. It was a bad mistake. That's why. <laughs> no, I mean I had gone to afternoon games before. Uh, I had, I would get out of school and I'd hop on the bus and take the subway and I could get there in the second or third inning. Uh, But, and I knew it was his last game and everybody knew it was his last game. It wasn't like it was a secret. And once he hit the home run, he decided, oh, I'll retire. It was, it would have been announced. The mayor of Boston had proclaimed it as Ted Williams Day. I have no excuse for not going, (laughs) but I didn't go. I had a newspaper route in the afternoon where I delivered newspapers to people in the neighborhood, and I had a transistor radio. I don't know if people ever even know what that is anymore, but uh, a a portable radio that was small that you could listen to without plugging it into the wall, and there were no such thing as cell phones in those days. Uh, But I got onto a, there was a bridge over the railroad tracks on the street where I lived, and I was standing up on top of the the bridge when he came up that, that final time in the eighth inning. Jack Fisher was the pitcher. He was with the Baltimore Orioles. And the Orioles were trying to win. Uh, Well, I mean, teams always try to win. But they were in a battle for second place. And and those was still true. If you finished in second place or third place, uh, you get more money. You get a little bonus at the end of the year. And you have pride, which is probably at least as important. Uh, They wanted to win the game. They were fighting with the White Sox. The Yankees were way out in front of everybody else. The Red Sox... I did look this up uh, before we spoke. The Red Sox were 29 games behind the Yankees. Ouch. Ouch. They were in seventh place. Uh, they had no, there was no, nothing in it for them. They're just going through the motions and the fact, but as I said, pride. They wanted to win. The game before, the, the Tuesday game had had 5,840 people, and the Orioles won that game 17-3. to 3. Wow. That was pretty bad too. <laughs> that wasn't why I didn't go. I have no excuse. I just—it's been something for sixty years. And one day now, yeah. uh, I have regretted uh, that more than most things. Now, but it, he, go ahead. Jack Fisher was a he, Jack Fisher had been a relief relief pitcher. He'd come in uh, during earlier in the game. He'd been in for quite a while. I think he came in after the second or third inning. He came in the first inning, actually. Yeah. it uh, came in right away. And uh, he was a young guy, 21, uh, and he he took over and he had the game in pretty good shape. Uh, going into the bottom of the eighth inning, the Orioles were winning 4-2. to two. Uh, He got the first batter out, and then that's when Ted Williams came up to bat.
0: Now, Bill, when you were writing your book 521, did you get to interview Jack Fisher at all for that book?
1: I had interviewed him for another time earlier. Uh, he ran a bar in Pennsylvania, someplace, I, and uh, I ended up talking to him on the phone at one time there. Uh, I don't, I don't really remember what he said about it. Obviously, he became famous because of this, but it wasn't as though he was, uh, you know, trying to groove one for Ted. I don't think I'd, the uh, Ted Williams himself are. Uh, Kind of told the story about how he uh, picked up on what was happening. He, the uh, pitch beforehand, he had swung and missed. He said it was a big, fat fastball, right, just perfect fastball for him. And he has absolutely no idea why he missed it.
0: Mm. You
1: know, afterwards he was at, I, he didn't foul it off; he just missed it. Uh, fortunately, he didn't pop it up to the second baseman, but um, he uh, he completely missed it. And he said, you know, it was one of the worst. I mean, it's a little bit of hyperbole maybe, but it was, in fact, one of the worst swings he ever had maybe to have something that much right in front of him set up for him, and he, he missed it. And so he figured to himself, he's going to come back with the same pitch. He fooled me on this one. He's going to come back with the same pitch, and he did. And uh, that one he was readier for it. somehow. He connected, and uh, despite this heavy air, it went out into the Red Sox bullpen, onto the roof of, that where the players, uh, pitchers sit in the bullpen out there. There's a little roof to protect them in case it's raining. It it banged on top of that roof. Apparently,
0: now did Ted ever get the ball back? I mean, did uh, didn't I read somewhere like Mike Forney Ellis was able to retrieve it? Did he ever get the ball
1: back? Yeah, you know, I can't tell you for sure that he got the ball back. I do know that he that the bat he used, he asked the bat boy to take his bat and give it as a present to Tom Yawkey. The owner of the team, who had been the owner of the team for Ted's entire twenty-three year long career from yep. nineteen thirty-nine to this final day in nineteen sixty, same sole owner of the team, and he sent the back bat up to him in, in appreciation for his uh, running the team.
0: Bill, tell me if this is true. I remember long ago I thought I, I heard somewhere or read somewhere that Ted had worked out an arrangement with Tom Yawkey and the Red Sox management that. During that last homestand, if he hit a home run sometime during that last homestand, he would retire immediately and then not play the remaining games. Is that a true story?
1: I, I don't recall that, hearing that. It wouldn't have surprised me, but, I mean, that's what you expect most players to do. With Ted Williams, maybe not. I mean, he, he could hit two homens in a row, for one thing. Mm. But it would, it would probably be a cheap way to go out, in a sense. I mean, he can not never blame anybody. He'd already hit 520 home runs before that. So you hit one more, it would make perfect sense to say, that's it, I'm really happy to have hit a home run. I'm leaving. But the drama of the way this all happened was was much better. The team was, just, it was a solo home run. There was one out. So he made the score 4-3. to three. Yeah. He, he brought them to within a run. And in fact, the next inning, the Red Sox, did come from behind, scored two runs, and and won the game. He wasn't involved in that, but in fact, he was out of the game by that time because after his after the Red Sox uh, finished the eighth inning, they were still losing four to three. Uh, the manager sent Williams out to left field to take his position, which of course naturally he did, and then. He sent out Carol Hardy to replace him in the field, and that forced Ted to come running back in from left field, and so the 10,400 people that were there could give him another standing ovation. Apparently, they gave him a standing ovation that lasted as much as two minutes before the game. Yep. Uh, and uh, so everybody was aware of it, and uh, there's me sitting at home. We're out on the bridge with a transistor radio. but. The smart people were there and uh everybody knew what was happening and then when he came up that final time you know kurt gowdy had already said before the game in the pregame game ceremonies that this was his last game and now on the radio he kurt gowdy was the radio broadcaster at the time for the red sox said uh you know here's his last at bat in the major leagues, and bang home run bill tell me during your
0: writing career did you ever get to meet and or interview Ted Williams personally.
1: Yes, uh, it happens. I was fortunate to uh, meet him several times. He had a... Well, I started writing about him, so he, you know, became aware of me that way. He even wrote the foreword for... I did a biography on Johnny Pesky, and he agreed to write the foreword for it. Oh, wow. I actually wrote it, of course, and sent it to him for him to say it was okay. I wrote it in his... I essentially ghost-wrote it, it for him. But, <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, he still signed off on it. But, I, yeah, I spent some a few times down at his house. Uh, I had one one lunch there and one dinner and even one breakfast, which was, that was kind of amusing. Ooh. The first book that I put out by him was with a guy from Nova Scotia named Jim Prime, and he and I wrote the book together. And we interviewed 200 people, Ooh. one of whom was Jack Fisher, uh, for the book. Uh, and... Um, then I wanted to present a copy to Ted, and I talked to a friend of his. That's, I said I wanted to get it to him, not go through some intermediary that might keep it for themselves. Or I just wanted to see his face when I, we presented him with his book. And the guy told me he said, "Be there at seven o'clock in the morning." And you know, he said, "You know where the doorbell is for the house, right?" <laughs> and 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 I did because I had been there before, and I'd seen you have to reach through the great gate and you push a doorbell, and then the gate opens, and so I kind of, this is very, very weird, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, but the guy told me, he said, trust me, you know, he said, uh, you get there early, uh, he'll be having, uh, the guy will be there to make breakfast for him, and uh, it's the best time of day, by 8 30 or so, he'll be off doing something else, so I, I got my courage together and did it, and, Ended up, we said, come on in here, you know, and had we'll have breakfast. He signed a couple copies for me, signed a couple things, and, uh, and had breakfast. His daughter came walking in in her pajamas at one point because she'd been staying elsewhere in the, in the place. and he, You know, he, you know it's kind of funny, but uh, it wasn't like we were best friends. he never, You know, he wouldn't have known me if I'd come in two days later. He wouldn't have been able to say my name probably, but uh, but it was great.
0: Now, was that before or after his stroke?
1: That was before the the significant. Well, that was around 1997, ooh, okay, or so. But it was, you know, he was not exactly. I mean, what was he then? He was 79 years old. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I'm 75, so I guess that's not that doesn't necessarily have to be so bad. But even he, he was not in the best of shape.
0: Yeah. What was what was it like i mean you know i was just a kid and all that what what is he like the man you know did he was he everything that you imagined him to be was it did he meet the heroic mode that you always envisioned him to be when you met him up close in the flesh
1: he did nothing to to uh discourage me from uh my admiration of him um he would there are interesting things you know it He was, he was other people around besides it was in that particular case, it was just me and his daughter and, and the the guy that was the the cook. But the other couple of times there were two or three other people around. And if the conversation would turn to a subject that he didn't want to get involved with, he changed it kind of quickly, Mm -hmm. but he was, he was not rude to people. He had, some fans think he was just very rude. Um, He was rude in some situations. He, he, kind of had a uh, funny attitude towards sports writers mm. you know, newspaper men because they were always out to get a scoop and maybe dig up a little dirt uh and he he didn't appreciate that but he it was kind of a love-hate relationship in a way i mean he he went out of his way to, to make friends with writers in the new york press mm. but he did that as a way kind of to Jab, the Boston newspaper writers,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: I'll show you, I can be friendly with newsmen. Yeah. Yeah, but he had a couple of people, uh, Tim Horgan of the Boston Herald was a pretty good friend of his, I guess. And, and uh, he had his, uh, he had people that he was friendly with. You know, he was a, he was a great, great ball player. He does have a, a 483 on base career percentage more than higher, the highest of anybody that's ever played that 48% of the time he did get on base. He had all these home runs. If he had not served five years in World War II and again in the Korean War, he would have had, you know, and not been, you know, injured for five years. He would have had home runs that would have been up very much on a par with Babe Ruth. Uh, it's hard to know one way or another, but he, all projections would have put him within 20 home runs of Babe Ruth. And yeah. if he was that close, he probably would have. Gone another year if he had to. Yeah. So he was a, you know, he was a Marine Corps pilot. I did a whole book on his wartime experiences, and I had a chance then to talk to John Glenn on the phone for forty-five minutes. He was, they were in the same thirty-two man U.S. Marine Corps fighter squadron.
0: Yeah. Uh, he,
1: he was not involved in combat in World War II, but when he was called back for Korea, he said, "Listen, I don't want to just do PR appearances and." Talk about how great the Marine Corps is. You know, if you if you're taking me back, I want to do what I was trained for, mm-hmm. and I want to see some combat. And he did. He got shot down on his second mission.
0: And had to crash
1: land the plane. the The wheels would not come down. The hydraulics were, were shot out of the plane by the ground fire. Wow. He did a dive bombing thing. was was really hit by ground fire, not a missile or something like that. It was
0: yeah. people
1: shooting guns at him. Yeah. And uh, he had to crash land the plane and jump out of it before it burned up. You can find photos of the plane and you can see it was, the paint and everything was just singed off of it when it got in a ball of fire after he jumped out. Wow.
0: Bill, given Ted Williams' emotional complexities, how did the Boston Red Sox fans as a whole feel about Ted? What was what was the, the view of the, the the average Boston Red Sox fan towards Ted? I mean... What was the nature of the relationship? I mean, was it, you know, unconditional love? Was it, you know, how did they see Ted? I mean, given um, his emotional imperfections and his own, and his tantrums and all that, but also the, the magnificence of his play and all that.
1: Well, needless to say, if you've got maybe thirty thousand people at a afternoon weekend afternoon ball game, they're a mixture of people. Uh, some people like me, almost worshipped him. I was only, you know, as a young teenager, I didn't realize that people had flaws and imperfections at that time. Uh, I didn't know, you know, it was only later when I read more about him that I, I learned some of the things that were, you know, he might inadvertently or otherwise have just ticked somebody off. Uh, but I also heard so many great stories about, you know, there was a time a guy talked him into coming to visit his son who was sick, And uh, he actually, he got on the airplane and went to visit this guy's son. And when he got there, he realized the son had no idea who he was. Uh And it was the father that wanted to meet him. It was using this as an excuse, in effect. (laughs) And, he it could have been very rude to the guy, but he, it it just clicked on him. This guy needs my support. This guy's son is is dying, you know, and... uh, And so he was gracious and and went through it. And there are stories that I mentioned in the book, 521, I told the story in there that supposedly, I was not able to confirm it, but the stories go that that evening, rather than going to some kind of celebration of him hitting the home run in his final at bat, he did two things. First of all, he got together with a, a small group of people that he had known. People like a couple of ushers and uh, uh, policemen and, and so forth, uh, bellhop, uh, people that he, he knew. And, but he also went to visit a, a kid that had cancer in Rhode Island someplace. and it's, it's, uh, He could have gone out to a public appearance, but he went to a Jimmy Fund event. And uh, the boy actually gave Ted Williams a belt that he had made for him which Ted put on and, and left, and, and supposedly the boy died within a few days later. Oh, uh, and, you know, I mean, if that's true, that's just unbelievably great. And uh, but he had that reputation for dropping anything to take care of kids, especially kids with cancer. He had been, since 1947, so for 1960 would have been the 14th year, he'd been kind of the public face of Jimmy Fund in Boston, yep. chair of the... Uh, Chair of the fundraising committee, and he was known to go to all kinds of local restaurants when they were having a Jimmy Fund night, and just make an appearance to raise a few more dollars for the Jimmy Fund.
0: Now well, when you has Ted, did Ted Williams ever publicly state of all of his home runs, which one was his personal favorite of all of his great home runs? I should have
1: finished up my what I, something I just thought about. There were people that enjoyed tearing him down. I mean, there are people like that in life that no matter how great somebody was, it was, it could be some, you know, monk that has been lived a perfect life. And there'd be somebody out there trying to make themselves look bigger by trying to cut him down. So, you know, he and there were people that, that would yell at him from the stands and so forth. Sometimes, you know, just a guy trying to puff himself up in a way.
0: But, yeah.
1: Uh, and there were times that he would get called away. You know, he was maybe he'd be signing autographs for 20 minutes and he had to leave and there were still people in line and so they got angry because he had to leave and you know you'd be upset if you were standing in line but uh you know these things happen that way yeah sorry sorry i interrupted no no it's okay it's
0: okay now bill where can people find the book 521 ted williams's home runs where can they find it
1: the uh, only way I could say safely to find it is online. It's a book that I pretty much self-published okay. on my own. And uh, uh, that's, that's really the best way to find it.
0: Is it up on Amazon?
1: Yeah, I, I haven't looked recently, but it must be, because that's, that's, that would be the main easiest place to get it.
0: Bill, what is your next book project, and when can we expect its release?
1: That's a good question. I'm kind of in between. I do a lot of books with Faber. You mentioned them at the beginning. Yes. Just had one come out called Baseball's Biggest Blowout Games. Uh, and the, the folks at Fenway Park were nice enough to set up the scoreboard to reflect the score of a game in 1950 where the Red Sox had won the game 29 to 4. I mean that's a blowout. <laughs> uh, they, but they helped to set up the scoreboard. So it looked just like it did because it's the same scoreboard. Uh, as it was in 1950. Uh, I've got, you know, another, there's a book called Great Baseball's Greatest Comeback Games that'll be out next month. Mm. Uh, that's a Sabre book, too, about games where teams were down, you know, by 12 runs and they scored uh, in, let's say, the eighth inning and they scored like six in the eighth and six in the ninth and then one in the tenth or something like that. Uh, some of the greatest comeback games. I, I've enjoyed doing those. They're usually done with many contributors there were over 65 people that contributed to this blowout games book each people each person writing up a different game that's the one thing all the saber members like doing is is writing up games i had a book on umpires that i put out earlier this year called working a perfect game and it was based on my conversations over the last five years with almost every major league umpire i think it's like 72 of the 76 of them (laughs) uh and uh Telling their stories, their lives—I uh, I, we do a show on that sometimes. That, yeah, uh, was really um, impressed me. The the kind of work I never thought about them much until I started talking to them, and then learning about their stories. They don't really just come out of a hole in the ground and go back into the same hole after the game and disappear. They really are real people with real lives.
0: Well, don't laugh. I'm looking for guests for next year, Bill. I'll check the calendar. If i got a slot, I'll put I'll book you and look, we can talk about that umpire thing yeah, or your next big project. I'd love to have you on, Bill. I mean, I had you on before last February and that was with Bob Lemoyne, you know, yeah. where we talked about your Boston Bean Eaters book, you know, and I'd love to have you on anytime, Bill. You know, just let me let me check my calendar and I'll let you know and we'll book it. Okay, Bill? That was good to me. Yeah. Okay, well, Bill, you take care of yourself. You be safe, and uh, and I just uh, we'll 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 meet up again next year, and we'll do another show. Okay, Bill?
1: Yeah, thank you for remembering Ted Williams' last home run. There hadn't been much attention about it in the media that I saw.
0: Well, yeah, I'll tell you this, Bill. I mean, even though I grew up in New Jersey and all that, I'll tell you, just Williams has always fascinated me, and I have seen that film footage of Williams that last at bat. And it just, to my mind, it just, I'll tell you, when I, whenever I, I was playing like Sandlot stuff and I would hit a home run, I uh-huh. would imitate the Williams home run trot for the last time. You know, squaring the corner at second base, the little stutter step at third, head down, you know, and all that. And just quickly into the dugout and all that. that right. I always imitated that. I always loved just the, the starkness of it. no high no elbow bumping no high no jiving no shucking and all that just very very spartan and simple unemotional just i i I just i'm fascinated by that and it just 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 the way the game was and him especially i mean if i if i ever had a field of dreams i would want to meet him in the field of dreams seriously so it means a great deal to me and i have numerous books on williams you know two at least three bios on him so Yep. Uh, being able to talk to you about him, is, to me, it's a great thrill. And it's also to pay tribute to the man. He deserves to be remembered. And what a good, great way to remember him than to do this show. Definitely. Thank you
1: again for your interest.
0: Thank you. And you take care and be safe. Okay, Bill? You too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show where I will be interviewing hockey author Mike Wilson. Thank you and good night.